The year was 2005 and Wipro was the first company on campus in my MBA college. After multiple interview rounds, the interviewee, who also has been on my show by the way, decided I'd be well suited in sales. And that's how my sales career began. The biggest challenge I faced, however, was that sales has a very negative connotation and I used to prefer the phrase business development. It took me a few years before I realized that I'm genuinely proud to be a sales guy. So today's guest is a really special one. I have with me Melanie Bukaru from Sweden, who teaches coaches how to sell without feeling dirty. A very warm welcome to the show, Melanie. Thank you so much, Koshik. Thank you very much for having me. So I have to start with your positioning of the company that you have. You are actually emphasizing that people need to stop berating sales. And I'm completely with you, uh, 100%. So what is the advice that you would give the sales folks in the audience who are listening to the show? We tend to, as a society, think that selling is a bad thing. And I think it's because we have a lot of examples in our lives of being sold to in a way that doesn't feel good. So, for example, you reach home in the evening, you're tired after a long day, you just want to be with your family. And this is when you have a call from the telemarketer. And they just won't let you hang up. So you have to start to be unpleasant and a little bit abrupt for them to let you go. Or it can be if you're on the street and somebody is fundraising for charity and they just won't take no for an answer. So you have to sort of run or lie in order to get away from them. Or it can even be just going into a store and you have an arrogant clerk who might belittle you or anything. And all of it slowly but surely drips in and makes us, as buyer, feel that selling is a bad thing. But when we're thinking about sales that way, we're not really looking at all the times we have been sold to in a way that felt amazing because it didn't feel like selling. If you're in a restaurant and you have a really nice waiter who comes just at the right time and asks you if you want another bottle or if you want a dessert, and that doesn't feel like selling, but it is selling. Or maybe you have a problem with your Wi-Fi and you call the phone company and you have a super helpful lady there who not only just helps you solve your problem, but also by discussing with you, realize that may maybe you have another need and, and then she will help you upgrade your uh, subscription. Yeah. Or maybe it's an amazing coach and you're listening to their podcast and every time you listen to the podcast, it makes you feel great. So when there's an opportunity to join their program, you just jump on it. All of these things, they don't feel like sales because you feel great about it, <laughs> True. but they're also selling. So selling is not good or bad in itself. There are ways of selling which are icky and unpleasant and distasteful. And then there are ways of selling that feel great. This is something we've discussed before, you and I, is that I, I firmly believe that selling is just an amplifier of who you are. So if you are a bad person and, and you start to sell, you're probably going to manipulate because you have the opportunity to sell. But if you're a good person, you are going to sell in a good way. And what I was telling you just before we got started is that if you're a good person and you try to sell in a way that is not aligned, so if you try to convince the other person or pressure them or push them, you're going to come across as so weird that the other person is not going to buy from you. So it's a little bit as if the universe is preventing you from selling in a bad way. So I really don't believe that sales is good or bad inherently. I just believe that you express a lot of who you are through whatever you do and in particular through selling. Fantastic. And a general sentiment around sales, and I've written strongly about this as well earlier, the projection that people get in the society is that a salesperson is somebody who can probably sell a bald man a coom or ice to an Eskimo. What are your thoughts around this? 
So first of all, if you can sell a comb to a bald man, it's probably that you have discussed with them quite well. And maybe they're not buying it for themselves. Maybe they're buying it for, for their nephew because it's their nephew's birthday coming up and hair has an importance in that family or for that person. So if you're trying to manipulate a bald man into buying a comb uh, and pretend that they need the comb because they have two hair left on their head, that's a really bad thing, of course. But then we're coming back to what I was saying earlier. Selling in itself is not a bad thing. So it's really a matter of if you're really trying to create a relationship with the person, if you're really trying to understand what they're trying to achieve, well, sometimes your product or your services are going to be the right thing for that person. Maybe not immediately in the way that you had imagined. And then, of course, if you can support them, by all means, you should. I have to confess, that's an answer I was not expecting. It was absolutely amazing. So well, would you like a comb, Koshik? I might have a comb for you. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not yet bald, but yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> so what would be kind of typical mindset that a salesperson should have? Um, first of all, I think it's important to understand what mindset is so that we understand what we're talking about. Mindset is just the way you're describing something to yourself. So it's much more simple than what we imagine. It's just the way you're describing the world or you're describing your own possibilities or your own character to yourself. And it's really, really important because if you decide that things are a certain way, you are literally not going to notice that they could be another way. So for example, I briefly introduce what I do and I ask them if they have any questions and they don't have any questions. I'm very likely to conclude that this conversation is a waste of my time. And, and so I'm not going to put in all the efforts that I would normally do to present what I do or to try to understand what they need. But maybe the reason why they're not asking questions, it might just be that they are feeling very incompetent about the product I'm selling. So they're reluctant to show their incompetence by asking me what they think are silly questions. And maybe they would have been my best client. So it's really super important that I don't limit myself by telling myself this person is not interested. So that's what I mean by mindset. So to be in the right mindset to sell is you just need to be very curious, basically. And there's a number of ways to look at a situation that will help you sell. And there's a number of ways that will not help you sell. So for example, if you think that the purpose of a sales conversation is to get a yes or a signature from the person across from you, that's not a very helpful mindset because that's going to make you very, very rigid. It's going to make you very convincing, even a little bit manipulative sometimes. It's going to push you into trying to achieve something that by definition you cannot achieve all the time. But if you decide that the outcome of a sales conversation is just to understand very well how this person is thinking about the problem you solve, about the solution you propose, about whether this solution is the right one for them, etc. If you're, if you're just focusing on the curiosity, then you're always going to have an amazing conversation, regardless of whether they buy in the end or not. And I, I like to push it even more. I like to say that when you hang up from a sales conversation or when you leave the room from a sales conversation, you should almost not remember whether they said yes or not. This is not the important part of the conversation. Be able to explain to a third party in all details how this person is thinking. Then you should be sort of scratching your head and wondering, did they say yes or did they say no? I need to check because that's not so important. And another, another mindset piece that's important is if you think a good sales conversation is a conversation in which you're going to feel comfortable all the time, that's also going to limit you very much. Because as soon as you're going to start to feel a little bit uncomfortable, you're going to drop the ball. 
you're going to be curious to the point sometimes asking follow-up questions where in a polite conversation you would not ask. And that, by definition, is going to make you uncomfortable. So you're, you're not being rude or nosy or anything, but you're just being curious because you sincerely and genuinely want to understand the other person. And that itself is going to make your heart beat a little bit faster. And this is an expression that I get from my friend and colleague, Debbie Sassen. It's stay out of your client's wallet. Don't decide for the person whether they can afford your services or not. They are the only one who knows that. If you look at the way Steve or, or Mark Zuckerberg dressed, if you didn't know them because you didn't know their face, you would just see that guy wearing a hoodie walking into your office. You have no idea how much money these people have. And then you're going to say, oh, I don't want to sell them something that costs 1,000 euro because that would be too expensive for them. I mean, the guy can buy the building from under your feet, you know? So you should not assume anything. Even somebody who tells you that, they don't have a lot of money. Let them make the decision. I'm not saying that you should push them to buy it. It's not, never about this. But do not decide for them that they are not going to buy. Let them decide. Because maybe they don't make a lot of money, but they just received a, a bonus. And, and that bonus could be invested in whatever service you give that will actually help them earn more money in the future. So let them make that decision. You, you stay out of their wallet. Yeah. Very interesting. It's usually not something that's very common because in sales, at least initially, you're taught primarily around closing deals. How many deals did I close and how much money did I finally bring into the table? So this is a very interesting insight. Now, flipping to the other side. So when I started my sales career, I was driven by money. And I think it's pretty much the norm. One of the key reasons people come into sales is the kind of incentives you make where you probably make 50% more than your fixed salary. Right? So is that something that is very critical for a sales mindset or is this going to be something else? Maybe the adrenaline rush. What are the key traits that you feel is something that a salesperson should have? So we say it's about money or it's not about money, but it's never about money. It's always about something different. Like when you say you're motivated by money, you're not motivated by money in itself. You're not motivated by a piece of paper or by a number in your bank account. What you're motivated about is what you make it mean about yourself. And when you understand that, there's no problem with being motivated by that. But you really need to understand that this is what you're after. And money is just one of the ways to reach that. Because the problem is that when you're just focused on closing the deal, it's what I was saying earlier, this is going to make you very rigid. True. And you cannot meet somebody where they are and then, if relevant, guide them to where you would like them to go. If you are very rigid, that doesn't work because by definition, you never know what the person is going to bring to the conversation. You only know what, you know, your 50%, but you don't know their 50%. So it's great if you're motivated by money, like there's no problem wanting to earn more. But first of all, understand why you want to do that. And if you notice that you're not really feeling worthy and you want more money because you think you will feel more worthy with more money, the bad news is that you're not going to feel more worthy when you have more money. You're just going to want even more money. If you think you need to make a million to feel worthy, when you have the million, you're going to think that you need to make a hundred million to feel more yeah. worthy. So that's the first thing. I think it's great to have financial targets in your business because that helps you push yourself, etc. So there's no problem in deciding that you want to sell to, I don't know, 10 clients a month or whatever your number might be. But it needs to be just that, a target, not a desperation. And you need to understand the math. So for example, you need to understand that I tend to close 50% of my sales conversation. So if I want to have 10 clients, I need to have 20 sales conversation. 
And then how many people do I need to reach out to in order to have 20 calls booked every month? So you need to do the math like this so that when you go in a conversation, you know that, well, there's a 50% chance that it won't work and you're relaxed about it. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you disengage from the conversation and you don't care about the conversation. You care very much about the person you're talking to, but you're not fixated on making them sign. And you were asking me, what are the critical traits of a good salesperson? I think curiosity is the absolute first and foremost. You really need to genuinely be curious about, think, about figuring out how does this person view the world? Because then you can help them notice how you see the world and that, that might be helpful. So it's very interesting to understand how somebody else is thinking and to share the way you're thinking. And that's what sales is all about, I think. And another trait that's really important, which also goes very much against the closing at all cost <laughs> idea, it's to be very vulnerable. So for example, don't pretend to be confident all the time if you're not feeling confident, because you know what? It doesn't matter how much of a poker face you have. As humans, we are emotion detecting machines. And so if you're not feeling confident, the other person across from the table is going to pick it up and they might not pick up that you're feeling vulnerable because you're in a sales call. They're just going to pick up that there is some disconnect and dissonance between what you're saying and they can't really place their finger on it, but they can really feel that there is something that is inconsistent about you. Then they're going to think, oh, maybe he's lying. Maybe I shouldn't trust him. When in fact, all that's happening is that you 100% trust your product. But you're a little bit nervous about being in a sales call. But if you're very straightforward and you say, look, I'm a little bit stressed when I have a sales call, or I'm a little bit impressed by you as a customer, you know, starstruck, I'm sorry, but I really want to talk to you about our product. That completely explains the dissonance. They notice that you're nervous and they hear you stating that Absolutely. you're nervous and it creates a great trust. Absolutely. And then the third aspect that I would emphasize is instead of confidence, which you get to confidence after a while, but it takes, I don't know, 50, 100, 150 calls before you feel confident in a sales call. Mm -hmm. So in those first 150 calls, I would cultivate willingness instead. It's just to accept to feel uncomfortable and to do it anyway. It's to feel unhappy that you heard a no, but to attempt the conversation anyway. Because you're not going to feel amazing and it's not going to feel smooth. But if you're willing to do that, you're going to get better for every sales call. And by the end of those 50, 100, 150 calls, you're going to start to feel very confident because you will have seen enough situations that you know, oh, that's the new normal. 50% right. of people say no, and that's normal. It doesn't say anything about how much I earn at the end of the month. I love this because you're mentioning primarily it's around getting out of your comfort zone, working hard, being transparent. So... I completely agree with you. You're now running the organization called Yes Mistress. And I think you have been into another company and you've actually morphed it into the current direction that you're going. So how's your journey been and what made you actually change paths? So I used to be a corporate employee. And then about three years ago, I started my life coaching business. And I started selling and having clients right away. And after about a year and a half or so, I realized that this was not the standard for most of the other coaches around me and that they were having difficulty selling. And it's not that it was easy for me to sell, but I always had clients. So I started to help a few, a few friends, basically, just showing them what I was doing. And I was really enjoying doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the other thing is that when I was a life coach, 
uh, I was helping high achievers who felt that they have lost their mojo. And as you can hear in this description, it's a little bit fluffy. So the, the psychological profile of the people I was helping was very, very crisp. Mm -hmm. But none of them had the same issue. One of them wanted to change career. The other was in a promotion rut. A third wanted to improve a relationship with a toxic boss. And it was a great school because it means that I was coaching a lot on their mindset. And I got really good at not only helping people change their mindset, but I was also very good at coaching somebody in front of other people in a way that made it super interesting for the other people, even when they didn't have the same problem as the person who was being coached. So that was amazing. But there was a little bit of frustration always, which was that I could not go all in solving a particular problem. Long story short, I started to experiment a little bit with actually coaching on sales. <laughs> and it really makes me happy and I get to learn a lot. It's a lot of fun because I also see immediate results in my clients. It's much quicker to see results in somebody that's helping with sales. They literally get results the day after. Then if you're helping somebody find a better job, they do get the results as well, but it usually takes a few more weeks or sometimes a few more months. Coaching is coaching, but coaching on one specific problem is so much more fun for the person coaching and so much more efficient for the person being coached. So that's basically the reasoning behind why, why I changed. And it was scary when I made the change because I made the change when my previous business was starting to take off, basically. Uh, and so there's been a lot of months when I was thinking in French, we say, maybe I, I let go of the bird to catch the shadow, <laughs> but the business is starting to, to pick up now. And I really know that I've done the right thing. So Fantastic. I'm very happy. <laughs> That's phenomenal. And congratulations on that as well. Uh, you. since you're a B2C expert, some of the consumers, they're going to straight away ask, what's the price? Mm -hmm. So how do you handle this? Is there any logic behind investing the substantial amount of try time trying to convince them? Or is it something that you just answer the price and just move on? That they're highly so, price sensitive. I, I, I don't want to answer for a B2B perspective, but when you're selling to individual people, mm -hmm. uh, first of all, as much as you can, be transparent about your price. Mm -hmm. So if you have a website, if you're selling a program, which is what most of my, my clients are doing, put a price on your website. Mm -hmm. Because this way... It's a filter already. It's already filtered out a bunch of people who want to haggle and only want to pay five euros when, when your prices are actually 5,000. So that's the first thing. It's not always possible, but even if you don't really sell packages, you can always put together a small package and put a price tag on it because it already places your business in a certain level. Mm -hmm. And then when you're in a conversation and somebody asks you for a price right away, it's not a problem. Share the price. Mm -hmm. But but your job is to understand what value they give to this result they think they're going to get compared to the price you have just named. So they say, so how much would it cost to work with you? And you say, well, if you want to join my program and get this and that result, it would cost 1,000 euros. Mm -hmm. The natural temptation will be to not ask anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> And if you dare ask something and they say, oh, wow, it's much more expensive than I thought, or it's way too expensive for me, the natural temptation is to say, well, oh, okay, thank you very much. Well, call me if you have the money at some point, or call me if you change your sure. mind and goodbye, have a good day. But this is where the sales conversation is starting. So this is where you start to be curious. So again, the mm -hmm. point is not to try to get them to see that 1,000 euros is an amazing price and they should sign right away. The point is just to understand what kind of result would they need to get most people, when they have a problem, they imagine the solution as the absence of the problem. 
but they're not able to project themselves into the positive ripple effects of not having the problem anymore. So if they have a problem and it's a minus five, they imagine a solution as a zero. But mm. you need to show them that the solution is a plus five or a plus 10 or a plus 1000. Yeah. Mm. So for example, I work with a lot of coaches. If you're a coach that's working with people who procrastinate a lot, mm-hmm. people imagine that once they work with you, they're going to not procrastinate anymore. And it sounds great. But when you don't procrastinate anymore, you don't blame yourself anymore either. It suddenly frees a lot of energy. When you're in a conversation with somebody, you're not constantly focused on the things you didn't do that day. You're actually listening to the person. It creates more opportunities. So you need to understand all of the positive effects. And when somebody is telling you that your price is too expensive, it's because they are not able to project themselves into the vision, the full richness of the solution implemented in their life. So if I say, if you want to stop procrastinating, Koshik, it's going to cost you 1,000 euros. And you're going to say, oh, wow, it's super expensive. And I'm going to say, okay, so what kind of a result would you need to be sure to get in order for 1,000 euros to be a bargain for you? And you're going to say, no, no, it's just I don't have the money. It's too expensive for me. Yeah, I understand. I completely respect that. But if you knew for a fact that as soon as you decide something and as soon as you put it on a calendar, it is as good as done because you never procrastinate, would that be worth 1,000? And then you're like, maybe. Okay, so what else would you need to be sure to get? Well, I'm afraid that I would probably be able to do it with your help, Melanie, but as soon as I'm on my own, as soon as the program is over, I will probably go back to my old situation. Okay. So if you knew for a fact that even once the program is over, you knew that this is something you've learned and it's forever, would that be worth 1,000? In that case, it's worth 1,000. So Mm -hmm. you want to have this discussion to really understand. Money is just a number, right? What you want to understand is, what kind of value they need to get for the value on the check to be worth it. And what's the biggest myth that you've found in the sales profession? So uh, my clients are not professional salespeople, but I, I work with business owners, founders, coaches, and solopreneurs who have sales as one of their many hats. And I will say that for this kind of population, the biggest myth that I hear all the time is that If I do my marketing well enough, I won't have to sell. And I think that's a huge myth and it's a limiting belief that really prevents you from from growing your business and from creating a sustainable business. First of all, I believe that marketing is just sales at scale, basically. So if you have a good sales process, then you can refine it and scale it with amazing marketing. But the heart is you, you need to sell to individual people to understand what actually makes them think differently? What actually makes them believe that your product is the, the solution to their problem? Once you really have that understanding from individual conversation with 10, 20, 100 people, mm-hmm. then you can extract all of that knowledge into marketing messages and you can do it at scale. <laughs> and my final question, and definitely my favorite, is that if you could go back in time and give the 20-year-old Melanie some advice, what would that be? My spontaneous answer is that I wouldn't give her any particular advice because that would mean that I regret what has happened between then and now. And I love the 20-year-old Melanie in the sense what she did and the poor choices that she made has made me who I am now. And I'm very happy to be who I am now. So I always say that good decisions come from experience and experience comes from bad decisions. (laughs) So that's my first answer. But then 
I understand where you're trying to go with that question, so I will give you a, a more satisfying answer. The more satisfying answer is that the one thing we should teach every kid in school, it's that the way we feel is not created by the situations in which we are or the people with whom we interact. Mm -hmm. It's created by our interpretation of the situation. The exact same situation will feel very different to two different people depending on what they're telling themselves about the situation. So I'll give you a very simple sales-related example. If, if I go into a sales call and I've never sold and I start to sell and I am in my first sales call and it goes to hell and the person hangs up in my face, I can interpret this as I suck at sales mm -hmm. and then it, it will feel very bad. Or I can interpret this as, wow, this was a tough situation. I'm still here. I'm good at tough stuff. Look at me. I've never sold. And I just had my first fall. I'm learning how to do this. I'm still going to feel the burn of the rejection. But at a higher level, I'm going to feel proud and I'm going to feel in line with myself. Mm -hmm. And that will make me continue and make me progress. If I had known that when I was younger, it would have saved me from a lot of very situations. True. Right? And I just want to make a small precision. It's got nothing to do with silver lining yourself. It's not about toughen up or it's not about, oh, it's wonderful. Everything is wonderful. Some situations really suck for sure. But you can try to make them mean something good and hopeful about yourself. Or you can just let your brain go the way it spontaneously goes and conclude that you suck, the situation sucks, and there's no hope. <laughs> Very so that's cool. what I mean. And that's the advice I would give myself then. Well, that's absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much, Melanie, for coming on the show. Wishing you the very best for Yes Mistress as well. Thank Lord you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you again for inviting me, Koshik.